The Wolverines continue to show improvement with a statement win over Sparty. Harbaugh finally shows some intensity. And are the couches still burning? I'm Adam Amble, and this is The M Factor. Happy Week 9, Michigan fans. Welcome back. I'm sure all of you are just ecstatic, happy, pretty impressed from that butt whooping that the Wolverines just gave Sparty up there in East Lansing, despite the weather, despite a couple turnovers, despite some pregame activities going on, which was awesome. We'll have it all for you along with the stats and takeaways from the game. But first, if you have not yet, get over to iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe to The M Factor. Just go ahead and type The M Factor up there in the search box. Click on it. Give us a nice little five-star review. We really appreciate it. I've also really appreciated all you guys sharing on Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media platforms that we've really been fortunate enough for you guys to keep tuning in and keep keep us going. So really appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. So without further ado, let's get to the stats. I kind of want to run through them quickly because we have a lot to talk about today right before the off week. Michigan continues to improve. Let's get right at it with the team stats. Michigan takes them down 21-7. to Really, the game was never in doubt, I didn't think, in terms of how we just dominated the field position. We'll get into that a little later. That weather kind of frustrated me. I was a little worried right off the bat. I thought, of course, here we go again. I want to get into a little bit of that as well a little later on as people kind of misunderstood what I was saying last week when it came to weather being a factor in these games. So, Let's hop right in. Michigan, 21-7. First downs for the Wolverines with 19 to 11 from Sparty. Third down efficiency. This is a huge, huge factor in the game. 7 of 18 for Michigan. Michigan State, 0. Zero third down conversions. They were garbage all day long on offense. Give a lot of credit to our defense. Again, we'll get into some of that later. Defense was unbelievable this last weekend. Fourth down, we were 1 for 1. Sparty, 0 for 1. Nice job, Sparty. Total yards, 395 to 94. You guys have seen it all week long. All week, what a stat. 94 yards, not even the full length of the football field. How many great memes have there been out there already? I saw one was probably my favorite. It was a picture of, you know, how Sparty does that, which actually kind of caused the scuffle early on, but they do that. They lash arms or whatever and walk the full length of the field. That's 100 yards, folks. It's more than they gained all day in the actual game. Oh, that's that was it's hilarious. It's a great one. I'm sure you guys have seen it. But 94 yards, how dismal of an offensive game is that? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Lewerke is absolute garbage. I don't care much for how he plays the game. I don't care much for how he leads his team. And it showed as he actually got benched at the end of the game. I was pretty happy to see that, actually. But passing completions to attempts, Michigan... 14-25, that was all Shea Patterson, and it wasn't all Lewerke with a 7 of 28, 7 completions. I think Lewerke was only 5 of 25, the worst completion percentage since like 1940s or something like that in this game. That's I think that's what I read. So nice job Lewerke, but nice job Shea Patterson again. His least efficient game of the season, but it didn't matter. And again, Higdon was just amazing on Saturday. So yards per pass, 8.5 for Michigan, 2.8 for Michigan State. But on a good note for Michigan State, zero interceptions. Good job, Lewerke. Way to way to be decent at one stat anyway. Shea didn't have any interceptions either. Rushing, another just unbelievable stat. 183 for Michigan to 15 yards, folks. And this was with Scott back. Scott had been injured for a couple weeks, and he's kind of their bread and butter at running back. I know Hayward was pretty solid, but yeah, Scott with 15 yards. 15 yards on 23 attempts, guys. That's a .7 yards per carry. .7. 
Michigan at 3.5 against supposedly the nation's best rush defense. Well, kind of put that to bed because I saw another amazing stat on how Michigan State when they've actually played a team that was ranked in the top 100 of rushing offenses, which was last week against Penn State, this week against Michigan, not even close to what, they, what they've allowed against some of the doormats of rushing. Like Central Michigan, I think, was ranked 123rd in rush offense. So kind of a misleading stat for the Sparty on defense uh, in terms of their rush defense anyway. But let's see penalties. 9 of 99 for Michigan. They did at the end of the game there. I was kind of getting a little frustrated. That last drive that Michigan State had, we had like four straight penalties on four, yeah, four straight plays. We had penalties, or might have been three, three or four. Couldn't remember, but just you got to watch out for that. You can't let you can't let them back in the game with something stupid like that. But nonetheless, the penalties nine for ninety nine yards. It really wasn't a major factor in the game, but you got to clean it up at the end there, boys. Don't want something stupid like that to lose the game for you. The next one could have lost in the game. This was the only thing that Sparty got lucky on, if you want to say that. And again, I do think the weather was a factor for these two turnovers for Michigan. The only points Sparty got on the board was off those two turnovers. Michigan dominated field possession all day long, all day long. I think there was only maybe two possessions that Michigan State started in Michigan territory. Well, guess what? One was on those fumbles. One of those was by Evans. Feel bad for the kid because you didn't see him the rest of the game really. Had that one fumble. You're out of there, buddy. Sorry, you got to hold on to that ball like Higdon. Higdon had a great game. Higdon did have that fumble and that kind of a mishap between him and Shea Patterson, so can't really blame either one of them for that. But just, you know, I do feel weather was a little bit of a factor in that one. But again, it didn't turn out to really hurt us anyway. Now, time of possession. This was kind of an amazing stat, too. 41 03 for Michigan, 1857 for Sparty. They could not get it going all day. They only had 11 first downs, let's not forget, and 0 for 12 on third down and 0 for 1 on fourth down. So time of possession just dominated by the Wolverines. And in my opinion, it was a dominating performance. The score doesn't really show exactly how dominating it is, and that's how this rivalry goes, right? You win in pretty much every stat. We only lost in turnovers and penalties, which are pretty big stats, I know. But at the same time, that time of possession and total yards, just unbelievable. Great job, Michigan defense. Amazing job. And good job by the Michigan offense. They had those two mishaps, which did hurt them, actually, as Michigan State scored on them. Oh, wow, trick play to Lewerke. Shocker, that's how they had to score. But nonetheless, great job to the Michigan defense. And minus those two turnovers, I really don't have a major complaint against the Michigan offense either. The offensive line was great all game long. Higdon, great job all day long. Shea Patterson continues to impress me. So awesome job by the offense as well. With that, Michigan, like I said, comes out 21-7. to And to be honest with you, this game could have been, what, 35 nothing easily? It wasn't, I know. I hear you already, Sparty fans. The score is what it is. Yeah, I get it. I know. But you take away, again, you take away a few plays, and you guys are shut out, and we have a couple more points up on the board. But they did beat the spread, and they beat my prediction of, I, th- I think I said they were going to win by 10, so they ended up pulling it out by 14. So way to go, Blue. Great job. Let's roll into some of the individual stats real quick. And to be honest with you, I I wouldn't say they're majorly impressive. Michigan's offense did exactly what it needed to do to get the job done to win the ball game. As I mentioned, besides those turnovers, Michigan offense played a solid game as well. So Karan Higdon, 33 carries, a career high for Higdon, 144 yards. He had a nice long 38-yard run there. Shea Patterson had eight carries for 24 yards. Not his best rushing game, but he's a quarterback, right? 
he continues to impress me on that read option out of the gun. I mean, he fakes out the camera guys sometimes. We don't know where the ball is. He does a great job of pulling it when he needs to. That first drive, he kind of missed missed it a little bit because he ended up handing it off to Higdon when he had a wide open lane going to the right there, sweeping right, which probably would have scored him, but again, didn't matter. So yeah, Patterson was uh, eight carries for 24 yards. Did I think he was only sacked, what, three times maybe? Yeah, they. I mean, they listed two sacks on him and a couple tackles for losses, but um, so he was, again, elusive back there. Way to go, Shea. Let's see. Receiving for the Michigan was DPJ. Of course, probably the play of the game. Everyone's seen it. The long 79-yard pass from Shea Patterson to DPJ. Breaks that tackle. Goes in the end zone. Does a great little pose there in the end zone. And that was huge. That pretty much blew it wide open. And you could see it on the faces of Sparty right then and there. Actually, they were kind of down all game. We'll get into that a little later because that was rather disappointing from Sparty because they've never actually impressed me. So other receivers, Grant Perry had a nice game, three receptions. Nico Collins continues to play solid. He has a great catch in the end zone there to open it up for us in the second quarter. And a great pass by Shea on that one. So other than that, the uh, tight ends, both uh, McKeon and Gentry, both had two receptions. Eubanks had a reception. Evans had one and Higdon had one. And I'm sure most of you did not notice this, but Tariq Black did get into the ball game. He did have one play out there. So great to see him back. Even though Nico's been doing a great job as a replacement, he'll probably still get the start. But welcome back, Tariq. But like I mentioned, not very impressive from the receiving side or really the passing yard side as Shea was, as I mentioned, 14 of 25, 212 yards, 8.5 yards per completion. Did have a nice solid two touchdown passes, QBR of 62.4. Not as highest of the season, but not bad. Again, zero INTs. He continues to help that ratio we talked about before the Notre Dame game, that ratio of TDs to INTs. Keep going, Shea. You're doing great. The best part about this is he doesn't need to pass. Our offensive line is doing amazing. How improved are they? Every game, every game they continue to improve, but how much improved are they from that Notre Dame game? I mean, it's it's night and day. And Higdon has, what, six six straight games now with 100 yards? You got to give it to, of course, Higdon because he has, like I mentioned, he has been the workhorse. I mean, 33 carries, that's ridiculous, but give it to the offensive line as well. We haven't had to pass a lot. And, you know, that's not a that's not a bad thing because we still got that option to pass the ball if we really need to. So something to fall back on. But luckily, we haven't had to. The run game has vastly improved every week. Every week it continues to get better. So great job, guys, especially that front, the front five, you know, especially uh, especially Hickton and give some up to Shea Patterson as well for a lot of those reads, because that is a read option right there. He decides he basically just reads the defensive ends and decides to either give it to Higdon as he kind of rides him through. If you guys notice that or decides to pull it, which he does on occasion, and no one knows where the heck the ball is, which is awesome. On the defensive side, as I mentioned, destructive. Just destroyed him. Just absolutely destroyed him. Barrett wouldn't even let him into our territory if it wasn't for a couple of turnovers. So awesome job. Cannell led the team with five total tackles. Devin Bush and Winovich both had four. Bush along with a sack, and Winovich had uh, half a tackle for a loss. Payne Curry, Hudson both that are all had three tackles. And then Uche, Owenu, Watson, Moan, and Ross rounded out with two tackles. And then some of the other fellows had one. But, uh, you know, four sacks on the day. Uche had two. Anawenu had one. And then, of course, that Devin Bush sack, which was awesome. No INTs for everyone. Ambry Thomas only had one kick return for five yards, of course, because they only kicked the ball once, which is awesome. DPJ, not a bad game receiving. Held on to the ball. That's all. That's all we want when you're returning those punts, right? Michigan kicking. Now this is uh, this might be one of the negatives, and it was Quinn Norton 
boy, I don't know what the deal is with him. He was three for three from extra points, but my goodness, that field goal woo, kicks up another knuckleball. I don't know. They, they better work on that. They need to get his confidence back up, and luckily they got a little off week here before Penn State comes to town. Hopefully he can figure that out for a couple Saturdays from now. So overall, Michigan offense, solid, solid as they needed to be. Michigan defense, above solid. A-plus Michigan defense. Unbelievable. I was very, very surprised on how, in, first of all, how intense they came out, and then how they just owned Michigan State's offense right off the bat, right off the bat. Let's not forget, Lewerke was touted as being a possible Heisman candidate before the season started. I knew that was junk. I knew that was never going to happen, and you've heard me every week say how it, I do not like this guy. I do not think he is worth all the hype just because last year he had a decent year. Guess what? People are gunning for him now, and look what happens. I mean, there was a story out earlier that that he actually was playing injured. Unbelievable, of course. Of course he was, but he just threw the ball fine against Penn State on that last drive, right? He was the hero, and then he comes out and says, oh, well, D'Antonio comes out, kind of changes his story a little bit. D'Antonio was, yeah, he didn't practice all week, and then the offensive coordinator was like, yeah, he he practiced, he threw the ball, and then D'Antonio was like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember he did did practice. I don't know what was going on there. So I read that on M Live earlier. So that's a little goofy. But nonetheless, you got to give credit where credit is due. And that's right to the Michigan defense and that Michigan offensive line. Awesome job. Great win for the program. And that's what I kind of want to roll into right now. The intensity started right off the bat Saturday morning. I'm sure all of you have heard everything there is to know about the story before the game, the pregame warm-ups and stuff like that. Just a little background on the story because the story, who to believe and, and what actually happened and stuff like that. And Harbaugh's got his version. D'Antoni, of course, has his BS version. But what actually happened was that the MSU officials, and this was, again, this is courtesy of Harbaugh quoting, apparently MSU officials told Michigan that they originally planned to begin their field-wide march, their pregame ritual, if you want to call it that, uh, which does go the length of the field at 945, and then they moved it to 955. And Harbaugh's claim was they did not take the field until apparently 10 a.m. Now, Harbaugh was not out there. However, in doing that, Devin Bush, Kalik Hudson, and LaVert Hill, and I believe Lawrence Marshall were all on the field. They were out there doing their pregame warm-ups because they did give them the 945 to 955 opportunity to do their little tradition, which I think is very obviously dumb. It's uh, Michigan State, so what else would I think about it? What happens is they walk the field locked in arms, and they were attempting to basically physically run over some of these guys. I believe, you know, you probably heard it already. They knocked LaVert Hill's headphones off of them, or ripped them off them, I guess you'd call it, and they clotheslined a few other guys. And then following that, Devin Bush uh, went to the center of the field and started basically ripping up the Spartan logo, which I thought was awesome, which maybe if Sparty would actually get field turf and not natural grass, there's no reason for them to have natural grass anymore. You're playing in the Big Ten, and you're not a traditional stadium. You know, I know Penn State has natural grass, but guess what? They're a tradition stadium. There's nothing traditional about MSU or Spartan Stadium. You guys couldn't even fill the stands yet again, which is ridiculous. I know everyone's shocked. The dozens of Sparty fans decided to show up for this, apparently your biggest rival on the planet, your Super Bowl, and you. I, I was curious to see what the attendance was. I'll get back to you on that, what the actual attendance was, but it was dismal. Regardless of the weather, you got to pack that stadium. Ridiculous, Sparty. But anyway, uh, yeah, Devin Bush was just ripping up the logo, which I thought was awesome. I don't think it was an unclassy move. This is a rivalry, folks. I'll get into that a little bit after I tell you the rest of the story. So after the game, post-game news conference, Harbaugh says it was Bush League. It was Bush League exactly what they did, and it was Bush League that D'Antonio was behind this arm-linked march down the field. 
and apparently it was laughing, to which D'Antonio replied on his uh, post-game news conference that that was BS. Harbaugh's claim was BS, and he says, go look at the tapes. You're Fox. Go look at the tapes. You got it recorded. So what does the Fox tape show us, folks? Oh, you guessed it. D'Antonio, literally five yards behind, he was kind of hidden on some of the angles that the cameras were able to get, but guess what? He was back there, and he was chuckling a little bit. Hmm, weird, D'Antonio. I have no idea why D'Antonio would say that when he knows exactly what he was doing, unless he was high on something, but he knows exactly what he was doing. I don't understand that. He knew that this was on tape, and he knew he was right there. He was. I don't understand. It's, it's clear as day that you can see him walking right behind there, and he, he was at least there. He does this every game, apparently. So let's get into exactly what does some of this mean, because that's really what it's all about, right? Well, first of all, what did it do? I believe it totally, totally gave a lot of ammo and a lot of fire to the Michigan players, not only for what Sparty did, but for what Devin Bush did as well. As a captain, you know, co-captain, he goes out there and just defaces the Spartan logo on the field on the 50-yard line. That was, I think, it really gets your team fired up. I don't care what anyone says when you are a co-captain. A lot of people found that, you know, unclassy BS, as, as D'Antonio stated, but I really think that lifted the spirits. That got the game back to the intensity that it needed to be for Michigan. That single-handedly right off the bat. Because during the week, folks, I'm sure a lot of you noticed, there was not a lot of jibber-jabbing going on between the two sides. Not a lot of jibber-jabbing for myself. You know, I only talk smack on the M-Factor because it's my show. But in terms of talking to my friends on the internet or in person or via social media, and to be honest with you, not a lot of Spartan jibber-jabbing either, but that's really always the case considering they always wait until after the game. Before the game, it's always, like I mentioned last week, it's always, oh, yeah, we're not that good this year. You guys are going to roll us. You guys are going to roll us. And then if they do happen to win, oh, my goodness, they're the best team on earth and Michigan's terrible. Well, that's probably why you didn't get a lot of jabbering from the Sparty side. And to be honest with you, I could see it on the sideline. I'm sure a lot of you guys could see it too. Even during the game, even when the game started, they looked beat right off the bat. Antonio, the players, even the fans, like I mentioned, the fans didn't turn out for this game. They looked beat. There was a lot of Michigan fans there. I had a couple buddies that go to the game. I'll have to get the actual percentage on what they thought. But judging by the maze that I saw on the stands and also the crowd noise that I heard via TV, it sounded like a lot of Michigan fans there. But what Michigan fans have been kind of quiet about this week is they always, I always, and I'm right there with you guys, always have this sense of something fluky is going to happen in this game. Something fluky that always seems to go against us. I had a lot of buddies state that they're, uh, judging back to the question of the week last week, your most your least favorite game. And my buddy Beach and my buddy Strunk basically had the same game of the Desmond getting tripped up in the end zone when we were going for two, and he gets tripped up, and there was no pass interference call back on Gary Moeller, was our coach. But, you know, stuff like that, the weather, the weather last year, and I mentioned it last week and got some grief for it, but the weather does play a factor, and I'll get into that a little bit because I really want to explain what I meant by that. Not that both teams don't have to play through the weather, but it does have a factor depending on what style of team that you actually have. So I'll get into that a little later, but Always something fluky, Who the punt, you know, obviously that's the biggest one. But I think as a Michigan fan, a lot of us just decided, you know, just hold on. Let's wait for the game. Let's see our feelings there. Let's cheer them on. Let's be hyped. Let's party. Let's have a good time. And then let the, the game turn out the way it does. Shocker, right? Right off the bat, we get something like Sparty pulling a stunt like this. And then guess what? A little weather delay. Shocker. 
Shocker. Against the supposed number one rush defense in the Big Ten, guess what rain does for you, folks? It makes you not want to throw the ball, especially as a quarterback. I know. I used to be a quarterback. Obviously not as good as Shea Patterson, but way, way better than John Navarre if I was a little taller. Jeez, I probably could have beat him out those years, but there's no way that you want to throw the ball. And, and don't get me wrong, I know these guys are great athletes and stuff like that, but it does have a little bit of an effect on your accuracy. And what is Shea Patterson? He is accurate. Accuracy is his number one thing, besides maybe his legs and those play fakes, I'll tell you what. So again, you kind of had that feeling of, oh, is this the kooky thing that's going to happen in this game? But it happened so early that the rest of the game was really, like I mentioned, it was never in doubt. It just didn't seem like Michigan State was ready for this game. It didn't seem like they were into it. Their fans were not into it. Their sideline was not into it. Only on a few, few plays, maybe the the fumble by Evans and then obviously that trickery play. Of course, like I mentioned, they had to run a trickery play in order to get a touchdown. But take those two plays away and Michigan State was just down in the dumps. And I really believe that they feel that this was the turning game. The rivalry is going to go back to the way it was. The the universe will be all set again. The rivalry is going to be back to where it was, where Michigan State will, of course, get their win every four or five years. But I think it goes back to Michigan dominance. And you can really see based on this game and based on years past, too. Let's face it, Harbaugh could easily, easily be 4-0 against the squad, minus the weather last year, like I mentioned, and minus that drop punt. So we're talking, you know, a couple fluky things that happen. And Harbaugh is 4-0 against the squad. So don't give me any crap about Harbaugh not being able to beat his rivals. And honestly, he picked it up this game. And that's really what I wanted to go into, the second part of this little scuffle that happened at midfield and Harbaugh's reaction to it. Harbaugh, for whatever reason, has always treated the Michigan State game and Ohio State game in terms of coaching. I know as a player, he was a lot different, or so I've been told. I wasn't I wasn't really uh, watching the games back then as I wasn't really born, but or I was too young, but he just, you know, he always preaches, take every game the same. It doesn't matter if you're playing the number one team in the country. It doesn't matter if you're playing the worst team in the country, play every team the same. And he's always kind of coached by that, which, you know, there's good and there's pros and cons to coaching like that. Obviously I'm not going to doubt his coaching ability. He's my coach. He's the man. And I would never doubt his abilities, but look what happened after this. He was intense. You could just, you could just almost feel it. You could feel that he finally he finally hooked the intensity and said, you know, maybe with these young kids nowadays, you do have to treat certain games a little more, a little more intense. I'm not saying you change your game plan and stuff like that, but some of these games you got to get up for, you got to get a little more intense on them. Why? Because you know for a fact that other team is going to be just as intense, if not more. Every team is like that against Michigan. Michigan needs to learn that they have to pick it up a little more, especially in the past couple years, because it showed on Saturday. It showed me anyway that look what happens when they get they get poked a little bit, and that's exactly what Sparty did. A poor, poor decision by Sparty. You poke the bear one too many times, and bad things are going to happen to you, and that's exactly what happened to Sparty this Saturday with these antics. Now, let's get into some of the you know, what I think really happened because there's a lot of stipulation on, did this really happen? Whose antics were this? Is Devin Bush very unsportsmanlike? Was that a stupid thing to do on Devin Bush's part? First of all, if you are MSU and you have this pregame ritual, why do you let them on the field at at that time? Why would you? There's no reason to. There's no reason to. If you're going to be a little late, you know, you're allowed to not let, they're allowed to not let people on the field at certain times, especially when you're the home team. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you can prevent them from going on the field. But they saw these Michigan players out on the field when they locked these arms out and was going to start. There was, it was almost like it was intentional, which I really do think it was. I thought they were going to show Michigan, especially these guys. They probably saw Bush out there, who's a pretty intense guy himself, obviously. I think they were trying to show them we're not going to be knocked around. 
they kind of treated us like a big brother. It's, it's honestly, it kind of downplayed, it kind of really downplayed exactly what they've been trying to prove these last couple of years is we are no longer your little brother. Well, that's a little brother type move and saying, you don't scare me. You don't scare me at all. Well, why would we scare you? In fact, we should be the underdog, according to you guys, right? According to you guys in the last decade of history, apparently that's all that there's ever been is 10 years worth of history, right? And Sparty decides to do this. That's ridiculous. That totally downplays the fact that the point that you're trying to prove of you're no longer a little brother. Well, that's problem number one I have. Problem number two is saying that Devin Bush did a very unsportsmanlike thing. And this is coming from most Sparty fans and some, not many, I'm going to say maybe 10% of social media or 10% of sports media when it comes to did Devin Bush do something stupid or was that childish and unsportsmanlike for Devin Bush? And I'm going to say absolutely not. This is a rivalry. You're going to come out and do that. Guess what? I thought it was great. I thought it was amazing. One, it picked up the intensity, right? Like I mentioned earlier, it picked up the intensity with everyone. It picked up the, well, besides Sparty anyway, picked up the intensity with the fans the players, with the coaches, with Harbaugh, with even people that weren't watching the game. They were thinking, they were watching that game, tuning in, who really didn't care about the outcome and were hoping that something crazy, some physical altercation would happen throughout the game, which it really didn't. Like I mentioned, Devin Bush gets flagged for an unsportsmanlike in front of it for flexing in front of his own sideline. That was kind of ridiculous. But other than that, not a lot of altercations. The refs kind of kept it in check. There were some questionable calls and then some questionable no calls. That cheap shot on Winovich, which has been playing on Twitter since Saturday, was kind of a a big cheap shot. But nonetheless, this whole thing is ridiculous. And then the worst part about this is D'Antonio and how he is handling it. D'Antonio, he's he's lying. He lied through his teeth. I don't care much for that. It is on film. He told them to go watch the film. It's on film of him walking right behind his players. Unbelievable. I don't know what he was thinking. Like I said, I have no idea what he was thinking. And then just some of his statements on that's BS. That's it. That's BS. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And then this week he comes out on his weekly press conference and just says, first of all, we're not going to talk about what happened before the game. That's it. We're done. I'll let God handle that situation or whatever he said. I don't want to misquote him, but it was something to those to those effects. Again, just the non-intense type of way of handling it. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore, and I think I think Harbaugh still wants to talk about it. You know, he called for the athletic directors to actually get together and try to fix or figure out exactly what happened because he's absolutely right. This could have been a bad deal. This could have been a major physical altercation. Some bad things could have happened. Some players could have got ejected, could have ruined a season for, well, for Michigan anyway because State's season's pretty much done. So this could have been a big, big deal, especially it puts a black eye on the the conference if something bad could have happened. But I don't think anything bad really happened. I thought it was a dumb move by Sparty, good move for us, and then a great move by Devin Bush to go out there and just kind of just kind of trash the Sparty logo a little bit. And then of course the AD for Michigan State had they went out back out there and painted the logo, which was hilarious to see him out there doing that. And then it just downpoured rain for a while. So that's my take on the whole thing. I really, really, I honestly, as a fan, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a Michigan fan. Like I mentioned, I thought it was dumb for Sparty, but great for Michigan. And this really, I feel this game was really the turning point of Michigan going back to dominance. And, you know, this antic basically kind of proves that they they still think that we're their big brother and we're going to prove to be their big brother for a long time to come now. I really feel that just like the energy coming from Michigan. I like the energy finally coming from Harbaugh in regards to this, not only this, but the obviously the game results. So great job. I'm really glad to see it. You know, I don't want to, I'm sorry if I take too long on this, but I'm sure everyone's been talking about it. So of course, I want to put my two cents in. 
So if you guys have anything else that you want to discuss about this incident and how you feel about it, what do you feel about Bush? What do you feel about Michigan State? Who's telling the truth? Go ahead. Like I mentioned, write me. This is an interactive podcast. So go ahead and write me on Facebook. I'll try to answer it next week as we do have an off week next week. So I need some some fillers for my show since I won't be able to talk about the last week's game. Maybe we'll still be talking about Sparty. But obviously for next week's episode, I'll be able to talk a little bit of pregame for Penn State which is going to be a huge game. Can't wait for that. Coming back to the big house, and it's going to be awesome. They did uh, list that as a 345 start, finally. So that'll be uh, ESPN 345 in a couple weeks. I would like to get into something else I liked before the game on Saturday, and that was, I don't know if you guys ever listened to Colin Coward. He's the host of The Herd. But go look up Colin on 2018 Michigan versus MSU matchup. Jim Harbaugh can flat out coach clip. It is awesome. It is to a T what we think Harbaugh is, what I think Harbaugh is anyway. It is fantastic. Just go take a look at that. You can just YouTube it or Google it and take a look at that. It's about a seven-minute clip, so not too long, but go take a look at that. You'll absolutely love it, Uh, especially if you are a huge Harbaugh fan, which you better be, especially after this weekend, folks. So let's bring us to last week's question, and not a lot of varying responses when it came to name your most hated and favorite Michigan State game. Easily the most hated was the punt, the dropped punt. And I really don't know, especially amongst people my age and people younger than me, I think they just really take that one to heart because we had that season. We've just been not good for almost a decade. Harbaugh comes in. He did lose that first game against Utah and then turns it around, and there we are ranked again against Michigan State. Michigan State comes into our house. We have them beat. Something flukish could have happened. And what happens? The absolute worst thing that could have happened. There could have been a million other outcomes, and that would have, that was the worst thing that could have happened on that particular play. And that is the punter not only drops it, what does he do? Tries to kick it, and the ball just magically ends up into Sparty's hands. As they run it back, do we push him out of bounds? Nope. Can we tackle him? Nope. Hope for a missed field goal? Nope. He runs it in for a touchdown. That was to me, and I was there, like I mentioned in previous episodes. I was there, but that for me was easily the worst, uh, just the worst feeling because I was at the stadium. The TJ Duckett one was bad, but I think for a lot of listeners that are my age or younger and maybe just slightly older listeners, that's one for them. Now, for some of the older guys, sorry to call you guys out, but you know who you are. They really bring up that Desmond Howard one, that trip in the end zone with Gary Moeller as coach. And that one to me obviously wasn't very heartbreaking because I don't remember it that much. I've seen it played over and over many times, but for a lot of them, that had to be rough on them. They probably felt the exact same way that we felt, maybe a little less worse considering Gary Moeller and Michigan was actually, like I mentioned, they were they were good back then. Gary Moeller was a great coach. He could have been one of our best coaches ever if he wouldn't have gotten canned for them off the field issues. But Gary Moeller, unbelievable coach. He had a great record. He had a, one of the best winning percentages out of any head coach at Michigan. But again, I think he only coached, what, three years or something like that? And he had some off the field issues that uh, that Michigan had to let him go. But those were the main two, or pardon me, those were the main three. It was the Ducket, obviously the bobbled punt for the touchdown, and then the trip in the end zone of Desmond Howard. Basically, it wasn't even a trip; it was more of a tackle. But nonetheless, some of the favorites, a lot of them were the same as well. My buddy Mattern actually brought up a different time. His most hated moments were the entire Rich Rod Hoke eras. He said he watched basically every game and doesn't really recall any major thing throughout those years, which is what, 20, 2008 to 2014. He said the Brady Hoke era really upset him simply because, and I have to agree with this, because Brady Hoke had so much talent and then just couldn't really do anything with those teams. So great call on that one, Mattern. Hopefully uh, my buddy Mattern there will get his own uh, 
has his own blog or starts his own podcast. He's a really talented writer and really talented guy on this stuff. So thanks for that, that little tidbit there, Mattern. But let's get back to some of the positives. Some of the favorites were that Chad Henney to Manningham pass for the win. The Braylon Edwards game, who uh, Henny was also the quarterback at that one too, so that's pretty cool. And those were the ones that people really, really remembered. And again, a lot of people my age uh, answered back and discussed it with me. So a lot of the older crowd really were more fixated on the worst game and not the best game that they can remember. But nonetheless, it was a fun question. I'm glad you guys had, had a good time with it. And like I said, this one will go right up there as one of the greater wins. Why? Because we are so sick of hearing little brother talk smack and state how the last 10 years is all that matters. I mentioned it last week. The relevance of Michigan State is not there. They are not relevant in college football. Give me a break. This weekend just proved it. We've gone years and years of them claiming and stating that my how the tables have turned on how we're little brother now. And then they pulled this, as Harbaugh would say, this Bush League move. And coming out onto the field while Michigan players were out there. And basically, it could have caused a major physical altercation and some problems could have erupted. Some big problems could have erupted from that little gimmick. So love to see it. This will remain in my mind. The watch party here at uh, the new M-Factor Studios was awesome. Good crowd, good food, good drinks. And then the entertainment was just amazing. So in theme of this, let's get into the question of this week. And this will pertain to the rest of Michigan's season. Now, as we've seen, as most of you know, I hope you know anyway, we did move up to number five in both polls. Now, the playoff polls have not came out yet, but I would assume we will be number five in that as well because I really don't see us leapfrogging LSU. And obviously, we can't leapfrog the undefeated Notre Dame, Clemson, or Alabama. Now, what this sets up is, in case you didn't know, Ohio State lost last week. As a matter of fact, they got destroyed on Saturday by Purdue. Uh, the game was kind of close throughout the game, but then Purdue in the fourth quarter, I don't know what happened just erupted for 28 points, I believe they scored in the in the fourth quarter. So great thing for Purdue. Is that good for Michigan, though? Well, as of right now, I can't see that being a good thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I think LSU loses to Alabama. That game is at LSU, but we definitely need LSU to kind of lose. I think they will, because if they beat Alabama and continue to win out the season, they'll probably go to the SEC. They will go to the SEC championship game, as they will have the tiebreaker over Alabama and probably play what Georgia again? Yeah, probably played Georgia, and we saw what happened to uh, we saw what happened to Georgia and LSU a couple weeks ago. So it'd be it'd be tough for Michigan to leapfrog. We kind of needed Ohio State to be in that undefeated spot in that number two position in the country. Does it matter? Like I said, at this point in the season, I think it kind of does. Now, don't get me wrong. I, like I mentioned, I do think LSU does lose another game, and then that puts us right there. That'll put us at hopefully number four. I don't see Notre Dame really losing again. I don't see Clemson losing. I do see Alabama losing a game. I can't stand their strength of schedule. I know they play in the SEC. Just their non-conference schedule just really ticks me off. I'll get into that some other time. But I do see Alabama losing a game. Now, if they lose to LSU, here's the question mark. And this, this, it's already setting up for a major, major media, just opinions flying all over the place, right? Doesn't one loss Alabama team that does not go to the SEC championship game, beat out a Michigan Wolverine team that would have finished with 12 straight wins, a Big Ten championship title, and a win over Ohio State. Obviously, it would have to be against Penn State, ranked Penn State, a ranked Michigan State, a ranked Wisconsin, and a loss against another playoff team, which would be Notre Dame at that point. And Notre Dame at that point would probably be number two, if not number one. I don't Again, I don't see Clemson losing another game, but what do you do then? My head's already going in circles, but I do think the way that Michigan is playing, I think voters easily put them in at number four over a one-loss Alabama team. But 
If LSU loses again, if LSU, if Alabama goes in and beats LSU, we got it. We control our own destiny from that point. And I do think if Alabama does lose to LSU that we would leapfrog Alabama because of the way the media has been treating these championship games, right? And I do feel bad for the other power, some of the other Power 5 conferences. Pac-12 get no one in this year. The Big 12 will get no one in this year, uh, even though Texas is kind of creeping as a one-loss team. But they do have that bad loss to Maryland, and that's, not, that's probably going to keep them out of it, especially with the schedule they kind of play now. The Big 12's kind of turning out to be garbage this year uh, because they play no defense. Shocker. But yeah, I, I can see Michigan definitely leapfrogging an Alabama team if Alabama ends up losing to LSU and does not go to the SEC championship, which is kind of encouraging, but got to take care of business, right? We still got Penn State, we still got Rutgers, we still got Indiana, we still got that big one down in Columbus. Boy, that one will be huge. It'll be monstrous because I think if both teams are with one loss, the winner of that game, hopefully it will probably go on to win the Big Ten championship because like I mentioned before, the West is garbage. We proved that against Wisconsin. If Northwestern is their best team, so be it. Northwestern would deserve it because they played everyone tough. They even beat Michigan State, which isn't a big feat, but let's not forget about Iowa over there who is our arch nemesis of the West. Like I mentioned last Last week, we are one in five against them in our last six meetings. Woo. So hopefully we don't have to look at them, but that's kind of that's kind of looking too far ahead. Let's worry about Penn State. So sorry, I kind of veered off the question. I just wanted to give a little background on what's going on. I just want to ask, what are your opinions on your top four teams in the country? Give us based on how they're playing right now. I don't even care about their records per se. You can bring in a number. I don't care. A team that's not even ranked if you want to, but based on how they're playing right now, and based on uh, this time of the season, who do you feel are your top four? Because those playoff rankings will be coming out in the upcoming weeks, and we're going to need to know. And obviously, we're all going to have opinions. I know I know, I will, because I'm going to give you them right now. Right now, I do feel that Michigan could match up with Alabama. I know that's biased, and I can almost hear the, <gasps> the gasp for air right now. And of course, oh, of course, that would be so biased towards Michigan. Of course I am. But based on how they're playing right now, I just see them, and don't get me wrong, I know Alabama's just rolling over people, but they haven't played anyone yet. They just really haven't played anyone that's really impressed me. Michigan, one bad quarter all season long. One bad quarter. You can say the Northwestern game because they did start. They didn't start that bad. I think Northwestern was just on fire, and like I mentioned, maybe Northwestern is actually a little better than we think, but there's no way that I feel that Alabama's strength of schedule is anything close to Michigan's this year. They schedule garbage in their non-conference. It's always at home. It's never on the road. Michigan goes at Notre Dame, first game of the season, and Notre Dame was really good last year. Don't forget, they almost beat Georgia, and Georgia played in the national championship game. I think they lost by two, two or one to Georgia last year. Returned a lot of people. We had to play them in South Bend, first game of the season, and we play one bad quarter, and we still had a chance to win that game. So all season, one bad quarter, and it was the first quarter. What are the odds? The first quarter of the season, we have played bad. We have played and improved every quarter since, and I will say that even in the Northwestern game because we had to play with a little adversity, right? And I thought those were very exciting quarters. Like I said, I don't think we were playing that bad. I just think Northwestern was playing out of their minds, and all of a sudden, Michigan decided to play a lot better football than Northwestern, and it just shows you what type of talent we have on the, the squad. So that's my question, really. I want to hear your guys' top four. My top four in this order would probably be at the present time would probably be Clemson, Michigan, Alabama, Notre Dame. I think we play Notre Dame again. I think we beat them. I think we play Notre Dame at home. We beat them handily, especially the way everyone's playing right now. That's uh, that's all I'm saying. At this point in the season and how we're playing, I can't go against Michigan as being uh, being a four or five or six. I got to go with them being the top two right now because I think they would go to the national championship game 
if the seat or if the playoffs started today. So let me know your guys' opinion. Again, write them on Facebook. Just talk to me in person. You can text me. You can email me. I don't care. I'll try to mention it on next week's show because we'll have a lot of open time to talk about this stuff on next week's episode. So let me hear them. I can't wait. And we'll dissect uh, We'll dissect your top four, as I'm sure you already have done to mine. So without further ado, let's get into this week's Rival Annoyance. So this week's Rival Annoyance comes from Sparty fans yet again, and it really alludes to something that I stated last week about blaming last year's loss on the weather. Now, I didn't really blame the loss on the weather. I said it was something flukish, and I really want to dive into that because it kind of upset me because it made me sound pretty shallow about just blaming the weather and that I didn't realize, you know, both teams have to play in the weather. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. What I was saying, however, is that the weather does affect teams differently. Let me tell you this. Michigan's run game last year, dismal, correct? Their offensive line, dismal, not very good. And did we have a quarterback to fall back on? Nope. Tell me what happened. What was that? Three INTs when we were forced to actually try to throw the ball because guess what? We didn't have a run game. And what does rain do? It makes teams have to run the ball. They have to run the ball. And when we couldn't run the ball, we were forced to throw the ball and we did not have a quarterback last year. And guess what? O'Corn throws up three INTs on like three straight possessions. So let's move on to Michigan State on that side. Decent run game. They did start off the second half with the lead, right? Good run game. Didn't need to throw the ball. So my point was basically that some teams do react differently to the weather. I'm not saying the weather affects them differently. I'm not saying they don't have to play in the rain. I'm not saying they're not both affected by the wetness of rain or wind or snow or sunshine for that matter. I am saying that some teams have a better run game. What does rain make you do? It makes you run. What do you do when the field is sloppy? It makes you run. And then what happens if your defense happens to be the number one rush defense in the country? like Michigan State was supposed to be this last weekend. Guess what? Plays right into their hands when the offense is forced to run the ball based on some aspects of the weather. I don't think you can disagree with that. Let's throw another one in there. What does rain do to grass? Some teams are experienced playing on natural grass. Does it make it more slick? Absolutely. Does it tear it up? Absolutely. Does it make people trip who aren't used to running on wet grass? Absolutely. Like I said, these guys are killer athletes, and anytime you can take away a fraction of a second or a point away from the advantage, then it does have an effect on the game and how the game is played. Sometimes it forces teams to play to their strengths, and other times it forces a team to play to its weaknesses, or it forces a team to play into the other team's strengths like it normally does for Michigan, Michigan State. Like I said, Michigan last year couldn't run the ball. They were forced to run the ball. Then they were forced to pass the ball because they couldn't run the ball. Boom, three INTs. This year, look what happened after it rained. Now, I'm not going to blame it all on the rain, but I will blame it on kind of the crappy field, especially the Higdon-Shea Patterson kind of mishap in which Higdon did kind of trip there, and it was not a very clean exchange, obviously. Evans' fumble, I'm not really sure what happened there, but it did have an effect on the game. I want everyone to know that because simply stating that, oh, well, Michigan State gets lucky with the weather, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the weather favors them, especially when they're playing Michigan, based on how they play the game. It does affect them. So that was kind of my annoyance last week on how people kind of misunderstood, especially Sparty fans misunderstood, kind of got some grief for it. So hopefully this clears it up, but I don't really care now because we won the game and it was raining and the weather was bad and it didn't matter because Michigan State looked awful and Michigan looked great. So that was my annoyance of last week. 
and it probably will continue on for the rest of the year because now every time it rains, I'm sure I'm going to hear something. Oh, going to blame this loss on the rain. It depends, folks. But that will conclude this week's episode. Unfortunately, we do not have a game next week. We will be back, though. I do plan on doing a recording next week. It'll come out at the same time. Don't forget, Thursday night's about 9.30. It'll be up on SoundCloud. It'll trickle out to iTunes and Google Play. We'll be posting it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know the normal stuff. So if you are not a subscriber, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, get your butts over there, subscribe, leave me a five-star rating. It's free, folks. It's free. You got to love free podcasts, right? And I really appreciate all the shares, as I mentioned earlier. The shares are what really keep us going, and the five-star reviews help our ratings and stuff like that. So please continue to do that. If not, you can always still listen to it on SoundCloud. do appreciate that as well. Get those plays up. We are nearing a very big benchmark, folks. So let's keep it going. Show your support for the blue and let's stay happy. Like I mentioned, I feel we are playing better than any team in the country. There's nothing to hold our heads low about. We come out with a dominating wing against Michigan State and we get a little bit of news out of it, a little bit of pregame action. So nothing to be down about. Have a great week, folks. Uh, I know it's going to be a little boring next Saturday, but uh, tune in. Maybe we'll see Purdue blow out Michigan State. So that'll be a good game. But nonetheless, let's continue to get better. Let's pray for a good week of practice. So get out there. I expect everyone to be wearing their maize and blue this Saturday, regardless of no game. Show your support. And who knows, maybe some, at some point we'll have some The M Factor merchandise for sale here. Or I'll just give it away. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not doing this to make cash. I'm just uh, enjoying bringing this stuff to you guys every week. Been a really good time. And it's even better when we when we win, right? So go blue. Have a great weekend, folks. I'm Adam Amble, and this is The M Factor. Yeah.